that take us back into the, the teaching series we began called Planted with Purpose. We're talking out of Jeremiah chapter 29. So I want to remind us why we're talking about it, and that is um, I feel like the Lord's really been pushing in our hearts as a leadership team into it's, it's wonderful to create a place that's a, a dwelling place for the presence of the Lord. That's my deepest passion is to to just be a place where the presence of the Lord is free and welcome. And I know that sounds like a strange phrase, but there's a lot of there's a lot of movements in the modern church that maybe are maybe not making space for the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a mistake scripturally. Um, I, I think God in three persons matters. Um, and when I was in Bible college, they they jokingly talked it talked it up like this. They're like, well, a lot of churches believe in, the, in Trinitarian 2.0 theology, which is two parts. And I'm like, yeah, that's fun. It's rhetorical. I'm not here to have a rah-rah campaign. I'm here to say I really believe the movement of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're in a season in the church where the deepest need of the people of God and the world around us is an encounter with the presence of God. I believe it so strongly. I, w- I would say Moses makes a statement that I love. He says, look, Lord, if you don't go with us, what is the point of us going? Yeah. If your presence isn't with us, what are we doing? And so that, that's always been our pursuit is to build a place, a, a, a family culture where the, the number one priority was the presence of the Lord. And I feel like the Lord has taken that and is almost like, like rooted it, said, that's awesome. Now let's move to the next thing I want you to tackle, which is really about our city and about learning to love our city. My goal in this teaching series is to so set ablaze the inside of us with a passion to love and reach our city. And I'm not talking about an evangelism campaign. I got a newsflash for you. Your life is an evangelism campaign. It is the agenda of heaven that everywhere you go, every day, you are releasing the kingdom. So we're not talking about a campaign. I'm talking about a perspective shift to where a lot of us have gone through, admittedly, maybe some of the hardest 18 months we've ever gone through. In case we aren't aware, it's a little crazy out there right now. Okay, great. What does that change for us? Based on what we find in Jeremiah 29, I would say it changes nothing. And here's why we're in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 is written to the people of Israel in captivity in Babylon. We studied Daniel for a fair amount of time. And this is the book that, this is literally the passage that Daniel comes across that gives Daniel the perspective on how to live in captivity. If we study Daniel's life, we see Daniel absolutely revolutionize the kingdom he's in. He cha- everything kind of ends up going through him. He becomes this major player in the economic systems. He becomes a major player in the power structures. Could I just go out on a limb and say, I still believe that's the way the Lord wants to move with his people in modern time. That he's not looking for us to fade away into the cheap seats because we just can't wait till Jesus emancipates us from this world. That's not his heart nor his perspective. And Jeremiah will write something, and he's just writing what the Lord gives him. It's it's a prophetic word. It's a declaration. And here's what he says. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And this was after King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, leaders of Judah, and the craftsmen had been deported. 
he sent the letter uh, with, with Elasa, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Nebuchadnezzar's ambassador, sorry, as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. In verse 4, Jeremiah begins to quote the Lord, and he says, The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, sends this message to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. I love the first phrase. It just reads so smooth. But what the Lord says here is, hey, you're in Babylon, and I need you to know I put you there. For me, the overlay is because Peter, in the book of Peter, it'll say we are strangers, we are aliens, we're not of this world. We're citizens of heaven, which we all understand that's good theology. Okay, so because of that, we can take this and say we too have been exiled into the life we're in right now. We're here living as emissaries or ambassadors from the Lord on the earth. Therefore, when the Lord writes something to the people of God in Jeremiah saying, here's how I want you to handle yourself in your captivity, we can take that and go, okay, this is a message to us about how we are to handle ourselves in our captivity. Does that logic shift make sense? You following the, tr- the trail I'm working on? Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food you produce. Marry and have children and then find spouses for them and have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And we looked at this two weeks ago. We looked at just that simple calling to prosper. Multiply, don't dwindle. We can't fade as the people of God. My goal in this is I hope there's an entrepreneurial bug that gets launched in this house. I hope people are like, man, I got this idea about a business. What happens if that's part of the move of God in our city? Is that he begins to inspire He begins to put dreams in us. But what happens if, I don't know, I don't know if I can be trusted with finance. That's a character issue you and Jesus will work out. Being trusted with prosperity, being trusted with poverty, both of them are, Paul will make this statement, and I love it. I've had a lot, I've had a little. Here's what I've learned in the middle of it. I had Jesus, it was good. My prosperity, my poverty didn't define me. They were just seasons I went through. Great. We all have to understand in our discipleship, the Lord will probably invite us into different seasons. Pastor Gary, when I was growing up, used to teach this all the time. He said most of the people of God, because of his grace, are probably in poverty because they don't do well with prosperity. Because they tend to forget God. So think about that. If, If my priorities are out of line and the Lord starts blessing me and I just forget who he is then a gracious father is going to do what? He's going to invite me back into a season that helps me remember who he is. So maybe it's just about us learning how to state what Paul says. Lot, little, I'm good, as long as I have him. So we're in Jeremiah 29, before I get off track and lose everything I was going to say. And I love in verse 7, he says, And work for the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Pray to the Lord for that city where you are held captive. For if Babylon has peace... So will you. Our first two points we covered a couple weeks ago was number one, God desires increase for his people in the regions we live in. I just want us to grab onto that. The heart of God for us is not that we dwindle away and barely make it by. His heart is that we dig in and we invest. I want us to leave every one of these sessions with this mindset of my job is to go out and just kill it for the kingdom. I'm going to walk into the marketplace with a huge grin on my face, trusting that my father's contending for me to establish his purpose in this city. I'm here to bless. The second thing we looked at was that 
He desires that we, we are active in our work for peace, that we're not just waiting for it to happen. My question to us is, what are we doing individually and uniquely to work for the peace of our city? Instead of saying, I hope my city's peaceful, perhaps we say, I can't change the whole city, but I can change the part I've been given. Okay, so let's go to work. I go to my job in the marketplace. What am I doing to work for peace in that region? I go to school. I go to CSU. I go to Front Range, whatever it is. I go to Fossil. What am I doing to work for peace in that region? So we're going to pick up with with this, this verse here that he says in 7. Work for peace and prosperity and pray to the Lord in that city where you're held captive. I want to take a look at this because the, thir- the third point I want to give to us in this city reaching planted with purpose ideas, we're under a directive to actively pray for the peace of our city. How many think prayer is a good idea? That should be everybody raising their hand. I think we all know that conceptually. But I don't know that we would consider not just as prayer a good idea. I'm actually under a directive from my king to pray for my city. Not just to pray for my city, but to pray for the peace of my city. So Jeremiah's word here, pray to the Lord, jumped out at me. So I began to study it to take a look and see what it means. And the word pray here means to intervene or interpose or entreat. The picture, because Hebrew is a, is a pictorial language, it's the picture of standing between two things, something and another. So it could be a person and a situation. It's, it's an intermediary. It's like a bodyguard picture almost. A bodyguard's job, what, is to stand between you and danger, correct? So this is the picture that he uses when he says, pray for the peace of the city you live in. Consider yourself an intermediary where your job, and all of a sudden it unlocked for me. We're to go into the marketplace with, our, with our, the last few points we're looking at to kill it. We're going in to serve with a smile on our face. We're walking in going, look, I am here to, to be blessed, to prosper, so my city prospers. I want my city to do well. But all the while, while I'm there, I'm actually watching for the things that are attacking people, the things that are confronting people, the situations that are going on, and I'm deciding I'm going to grab the intel out of my day, and I'm coming home to seek to the secret place, and I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to place myself in front of that oncoming demonic thing and say, you know what? This is my territory. God gave me that workplace. You cannot have them. I'm going to stand against sickness in this way. It is an idea of sacrificially putting yourself in the place to take the brunt. Isn't that what Jesus does? You realize, like, we're not all individuals in heaven. According to Paul's theology, we're hidden in Christ. We're actually all in his body. We're part of him. Paul will say it this way. It's in him we live and move and have our being. That we're actually inside of him. Now, that's kind of a mind meld. But it's what he's saying. is Jesus stands there to take it. And he's like, you know what? You can't get to them. You got to get through me. And all of a sudden, when I was reading this, I realized it's a posture we're called to live with. This phrase, to pray on behalf of the city, it literally means to peer into. Has anyone ever stood, anyone with kids ever stood around the corner to spy on them? Where you just barely let enough of your face creep out? Because you know if they see you, they'll stop whatever they're not supposed to be doing. But you just want to see how much character have I raised into them. 
So I'm going to peer. This is the idea. It's to have an eye to look into what's going on in the city. Do we wake up and go to work or go to school with that mentality? I'm actually here with an agenda from heaven to look around, see what's going on. Very, just look really nice and passive like I'm not here, just, just here to watch. And then go home and go to war. I think we work hard within the city to see it prosper and become peaceful. That's our marketplace, visible expression. I want to push pause on that for a second. I want to say this with all seriousness. Grumpy believers need to stay home. You need to get in the secret place until God fixes your attitude and then go to work. Because <laughs> an unbeliever doesn't need a grumpy believer in their life. They need somebody who has found the secret sauce of life, found out that, you know what, what it takes is to get infused with Jesus, and then I'm going to show up and I'm going to bless you. I'm an asset everywhere I go. That's the mindset. That is to be our contending in the marketplace. We show up with our head on straight, our posture right, our attitude right. It should never be said of us that we're hard to lead. We're stubborn. That's awful. Jesus, like a lamb, led to the slaughter. Let them take him where they wanted to take him. You know why? Because he's like, you know, you don't own me. I'm owned by him. I'll go wherever you want me to go. It doesn't bother me. You don't define me. Quit standing in your territory to define yourself. It's insecurity and it's sin. Show up to serve. Go, you look, you can't ask of me anything too low because I'll do it all. It doesn't matter. It all pays the same. He put me on earth to be a blessing, so it all pays the same. That's beneath me. That's called pride and it's sin. Deal with it in a secret place. I'm talking about basic stuff in the marketplace. Show up with this just incredible agenda to pour out. I'm here to love on you. I know if you tell your coworkers that, they're going to think you're crazy. So don't tell them that. <laughs> Show them that. Just walk in with a smile and when they say, hey, can you go get that for me? Yeah, happy to. Instead of going, what? That's not my job. You'll get your own thing. That's what the kingdom looks like being lived in the marketplace. If you're waiting tables, you show up and you wait every table with a grin on your face because you're hoping for a great tip. No, because you're there to love people. So we work on that side of it. But the whole time we're doing that, we're peering into, looking into, watching for the places that we go home and we pull into the secret place and we start to contend for the things we see. And all of a sudden, church, the problems we face in the marketplace, the problems we face in our neighborhoods aren't problems. They're invitations. We're getting intel. The enemy's dumb enough to show us his hand. And then we go home and we get on our face. We're like, all right, Lord, this is what I saw today. What do you want me to release over that? This is what I heard today. What do you want me to release over that? This is what I feel today. What am I supposed to do with this? And we learn to take our entire life into this grid of praying for our city. We're fighting in the spirit realm for our city. Now, this is not a pitch for Wednesday night prayer. I will tell you, honestly, one of the biggest conundrums for me as a leader is that you, we have fought and fought and fought to build a healthy prayer culture, consistent. It's the hardest thing in the church to build. 
I will share with you some of my deep, dark secrets. At about 6 o'clock every Wednesday night, I'm like, oh, I want to go to prayer. You're like, oh, you're the pastor. Yeah, well, neither do you because I don't see you here. But after it's over, I'm like, that was awesome. Hey, it's totally okay to not want to pray. It's not okay to not pray. And maybe the enemy loves to push on that thing. You're like, my Wednesdays are just so busy. Wonder why? Because there's something about us coming together as a family. I'd love to see Wednesday nights where we get together and there's 60, 70, 80 groups of five people getting together going, here's what I saw this week. This is what we got to go for. Here's the thing I was seeing in this corner of the city. Let's contend for it. Let's pray for it. Let's take our city on as a burden and begin to birth something in the spirit realm that we can live out in the natural. That was clappable. You don't have to, though. This isn't an agenda to build a prayer gathering. It's an agenda to call the people of God to wake up and realize it's not somebody else's job to pray for the peace of their city. It's our job. My responsibility is my job. And this call from Jeremiah to the people of God was this. I've put you here. Serve them. Increase. Don't dwindle. And while you're there, pray for them. Pray for your city. Pray for peace. Pray for outpouring. Pray against corruption. Both are the requirement of the people of God. My question is, how many of us get out of bed to do that every day? I love it. There's one gal, and I'm like, yep, yeah, we need to just let her go to town. So my invitation to us is, let's grab onto this. Consider your placement in the city intentional by the Lord. If you're struggling with your job, go fight it out with the Lord. Say, Lord, my attitude at work is really bad. I hate my boss. I hate the people I work with. Sometimes I hate myself when I'm there. Give the Lord a place to change that. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. You're like, I, I hate my job, and I hate the people I work with. <laughs> The answer is still the same. Get along with the Lord until he changes your attitude. The consequence of the people of God not being who he's called them to be is that a city's lost under their watch. I don't want this city to be lost on our watch. This isn't about vintage. This is just the house we're in. This is about the people of God. I was so excited for what Pastor Dustin shared with Hannah from RCS. Because last Sunday when we were praying for it, the girl that was leading worship last Sunday, it, the two girls that got in a car wreck, were, one of them was her best friend. So she had no idea it had happened. So I was trying to deal with it in a very gentle way so it didn't, because I'm like, I still need you to leave one more set. I need you to actually not be a basket case. So I was trying to be gentle with the, what we were sharing. But we began to pray for this situation, and I felt like the Lord showed me something. And I don't see pictures hardly ever. We began to pray for the situation, and... I saw like the, the, like the hospital room where she was at just get lifted up over the city. Like it was vantage point. Like everybody could see it. And the Lord just said, I want you to see what, I want you to watch what I do with this. 
And I instantly like got a download of like the whole church at large is watching this. They're paying attention. And I felt like the Lord whispered a promise. I'm going to use this thing to birth revival in this region. It has nothing to do with the situation. It has to do with the fact that the people of God all figured out, hey, you know, when we fix our eyes on something and pray, it actually works. There is a shift that's happened here. Since the day we started this church, my number one cry was, Lord, would you birth a healing revival in this house? Why healing? I don't know. It's the thing I'm passionate about. I don't even know if I know how to move in it very well. I just have this deep hunger to see that the Lord supernaturally heal people. I think in an academic realm like we live in, there's nothing that causes people that are really smart to feel stupid other than something they can't explain. So I just love the idea of the Lord supernaturally doing something and people can't figure out how it happened. And their only answer is, huh, maybe there's a God. That's my heart. There's a thing the Lord's doing in the midst of this is the church has recoiled in this season. Recluded is a better word. And there's a lot of us against them mentality. I get it. I watch as little news as I can to stay abreast on situations. And I oftentimes will shut it off and go, the world is crazy right now. But we have to step out of the posture of recoil and step back into the place where we've been called to be. We've been placed and planted in this city with a purpose. It is to go extend the kingdom. Stand with me, please.